Hi everyone, Griffin Marie here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we'll be discussing the market moves of the week with insights into fixed income and the latest yield and income publication from the Chief Investment Office, as well as CIO's outlook for markets overall. I am excited to be joined today by Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Credit Strategist uh, with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So gentlemen, it's great to be with you and looking forward to our conversation today. Hey, looking forward to it. Happy Friday. Great to be here. Happy Friday to you guys as well. So my first question for you, what were some of the most notable market events of this week? Oh, sure. I'll, I'll just start. Um, I really, from my perspective, the most notable event over the past week really has been the rebound in interest rates um, over the past week. If we look at the 10-year Treasury yields, for example, the 10-year Treasury yield closed last Thursday at about a 1.22% yield. And last night, it closed at 1.36. So a 14 basis point increase in that 10-year Treasury yield over the past weekend. And what we've seen in recent days is essentially we've reset at a higher level in interest rates after declining for most of July and, and, and June as well. Uh, and that resetting higher over the past week it, it is related to several factors that have kind of played out in recent days. Um, The first uh, real factor driving rates uh, to take a leg higher here over the past few days has been uh, a clearer view of the employment picture. Of course, a week ago today, we did get the July jobs report, and it showed that the economy added 943,000 jobs non-farm payrolls rose by 943,000. That was better than expected. And uh, we also got a revision to the prior months such that the June jobs report showed an addition of 938,000 jobs in June. So basically we've got two months in a row back to back of close to a million jobs being added. Uh, We also saw in the July jobs report the unemployment rate dropping to 5.4% from 5.9%, so a pretty sizable decline in the unemployment rate. That was better than expectations. And the average hourly earnings rose by 0.4% month over month. That was also better than expectations. So overall, a very solid reading. And after the report was released last Friday, the 10-year Treasury yield jumped by about seven basis points to 130. So I mentioned uh, the 10-year Treasury yield has increased by about 14 basis points over the past week. Half of that occurred on Friday after the jobs report was released. And that also touched off a rebound in the reflation trade with cyclicals beginning to uh, perform better and and, uh, benefit from a bit of a tailwind uh, heading into this week as well. Now, into this week, we did get even more uh, employment data. The JOLTS job openings uh, survey showed a record number of job openings in the country, a record number of job openings to the tune of 10.1 million job openings in June. That's a new record. It beat the prior record from the prior month of 9.5 million job openings. We also this week got the NFIB survey of small businesses with a record number of respondents, 49% showing unfilled job openings. So all of this uh, uh, employment st- 
try and strengthen the labor market. We'll keep the Fed on track to taper their quantitative easing program. And that's really the second major topic of conversation over the past week is the taper talk. We heard in recent days and over the past week from several Fed presidents, including Fed President Kaplan, Daly, Bostic, Barkin, and others, as well as a new Fed governor, Waller, all preparing the market for a taper announcement in, uh, in, in the coming uh, months. And uh, we do expect that, but we, we expect the Fed here at CIO, we expect the Fed to continue taking a steady approach to any changes to monetary policy. We do not expect the official taper announcement to occur before year end. And that's because even though empl- employment has improved dramatically, it still has more to go. The 5.4% unemployment rate that I mentioned is still above pre-pandemic levels, which were around 3.5%. Plus, there are key Fed voting members, most notably Fed Chair Jay Powell, that are still dovish. So overall, CIO, we're expecting the Fed to announce tapering, but closer to year-end, maybe around November, December, with the actual tapering to begin soon after, but we'll get more clues in the weeks ahead. Um, So those were just some of the topics of conversation uh, this week. Barry, I know you have some thoughts as well regarding this week's events and and rates, yeah? Well, we also had uh, the the consumer price index, and here the headline also came in 5.4% year-over-year, but the core was up 4.3%, so that was down from the 4.5% in June. So it is possible that June may have marked uh, the, the top and in, in the core CPI. Uh, we'll stay tuned for that. But I think the market took some comfort in the fact that, you know, some of the, the pandemic-related drivers of inflation had started to fade a bit. Uh, specifically, when you look at used vehicle prices and airfare, they were up only modestly. So that suggests that you know, distortions in those areas are starting to fade. Um, and when you look at a measure of inflation called the trim mean, which takes out some of these outliers. You know, that um, rose from 2.9% last month to 3%. And that level really shouldn't be alarming, you know, to policymakers. Um, it really, again, it, it also has, um, feeds back into, as Frank was talking about, you know, the pace of um, the Fed as it uh, gradually uh, undo some of its accommodation, I think, is what you know markets are going to take a, a lot of their their cues from. You know, certainly going forward, and the inflation reading, you know, did not um, really detract, you know, from our time frame there. And then also just quickly mention, of course, a busy week in Congress, uh, the Senate, where on Tuesday they approved that 550 billion dollar um, infrastructure bill uh, in terms of you know the new funding amount. Uh, it's at 550 that focuses on traditional infrastructure areas like uh, bridges, uh, highways, uh, uh, freight rail, um, and electric vehicle charging station build-outs. And then you also had the Senate on Wednesday finish work on a $3.5 trillion budget, budget resolution, which would pave the way for a bigger spending and tax bill this fall. I think it's that bigger bill is the one that investors will be paying um, very close attention to to the extent that the amount of spending, you know, is, is a lot higher, but also the potential for um, increases in corporate and individual taxes would come into play with that bill as well. Well, gents, that was fantastic color right there. And shifting gears here a bit, you guys recently published the yield and income report. Uh, what are the highlights of that and how have those yield and income sectors been performing? Yeah, I'll start, and uh, I'll, I'll really I'll just start with a brief overview 
of what the yield and income report is all about, just maybe a little bit of a reintroduction for those listeners who may not be familiar. It, it's published every month. The yield and income is a monthly report, and it's also a multi-authored and multi-asset class report. Uh, it covers U.S. equities, emerging market stocks, uh, international developed market stocks, uh, as well as municipal bonds, government bonds, uh, investment-grade corporate bonds, and high yield, as well as uh, yield assets like REITs, MLPs, and preferreds. I like to say it's our latest thinking on everything. And in the back of the report on page 18, you'll find um, the asset allocations for Houseview yield-focused portfolios. All of these sectors covered in the reports are the same sectors uh, that populate those asset allocations for those Houseview yield-focused portfolios at the back of the report. But the latest uh, yield and income report uh, is entitled Summer Swoon. And that examines and really tries to explain the surprising decline in interest rates that took place in June and July. You know, I, I started out talking about the, the trends in, in rates over the past week. That was really a, a reversal in the longer trend that, that has taken place for most of the summer. If we look at the 10-year Treasury yield, for example, on Memorial Day, it sat at about 160, and yet it ended the month of July at 120. So a 40 basis point decline in that 10-year Treasury yield against the backdrop of pretty strong economic growth as well as signs of inflation. So somewhat of a surprising move, but possibly could have been driven by a number of factors, both technical and fundamental. On the technical side, net issuance of Treasury supply has been declining in recent months, and that may continue. Uh, but also, we're seeing more government spending taking place from the Treasury general account, and this tends to lead to more Treasury demand. So on the technical side, we're seeing somewhat of a, a constraint to uh, Treasury uh, supply or the growth in Treasury supply, at least. And, but we're also seeing growing demand particularly from banks uh, that are required to hold Treasury bills, notes, and bonds mm -hmm. related to spending from the Treasury general account. And this all is related somewhat to the debt ceiling constraint. Um, so those are some of the technical pressures that may be uh, pressuring yields, Treasury yields lower and may continue to do so. On the fundamental side, concerns in July uh, and June around the Delta variant of coronavirus may have also contributed to lower Treasury rates as well. So how this all relates to performance? Well, with lower Treasury rates, of course, rate-sensitive sectors performed very well in July. Uh, turning to the preferred uh, sector, preferred stocks, which is my area of focus, would ordinarily benefit from lower rates, but those that benefit from lower rates was, was offset by some spread widening at probably uh, related to the fundamental concerns I alluded to earlier. And as a result, preferreds were relatively flat uh, in July. Now, this week, the preferred sector has been experiencing greater headwinds, particularly with that rebound I described earlier in, in interest rates that have taken place over the past week. So we are seeing some uh, pressure on the preferred space this week. Um, and Barry, I, I, I'm guessing we're seeing some similar impacts uh, over on credit. That's right. You know, we think that you're seeing interest rates being a, a main driver of credit performance, particularly investment-grade credit. Uh, so at the index level, that's a longer-duration, higher-quality part of the credit market. And that index, remember, it was down as much as 5% back in March of this year. It recovered 
uh, towards the end of June, and uh, as rates declined, we were back into slightly positive territory. And now we're back into slightly negative territory again. Um, you know, our view on credit is one where the fundamentals are, are very robust, and you're seeing that confirmation in the second quarter earnings results that companies uh, have, have provided us. Um, because of their strong uh, revenues and, and earnings, we're seeing leverage, uh, which was elevated because of the pressure uh, that they faced last year. So the leverage is coming down uh, and helping to justify the fact that we're seeing credit spreads, which are the measure of valuation. You know, they're they're, they're quite tight. Uh, you know, we think that, you know, the incremental uh, compression that you'll see in spreads, you know, even over the medium term, is probably going to be more limited. So we think that interest rates are going to be a main driver when you look at performance and credit. So, you know, therefore, we are cautious on the longer duration segments of fixed income, uh, the, the high quality long duration. So, you know, least preferred view on investment grade. Uh, we have a, a neutral view on high yield credit where you get a, you know, a bit more incremental spread and the, and the fundamentals should still be very strong as, um, you know, companies, you know, recover and also default rates continue to decline. Um, would you really like though that senior loans, which are the floating rate uh, part of the leverage finance market and those uh, you know reset on a, on a periodic basis uh, based on short-term rates so over time um, their coupon you know could eventually begin to reset higher you know so we don't expect that to occur over the near term but uh, as the Fed eventually is in a position to raise rates you know we do see that playing out but in the meantime you do get shielded a bit you know from the sensitivity to interest rates because the, the short duration. So, um, you know, again, with, with the, the fundamentals strong, uh, we keep on saying this, but it's just so true, you know, really just see, you know, more macro and, and rates really driving these uh, fixed income instruments. Terrific, guys. So putting this all together, what's CIO's overall market outlook and what are some of the events to look for in the week ahead? Yeah, maybe I'll just start um, in terms of the, the week ahead. You do get minutes from the Fed. Uh, July 28th FOMC meeting and uh, you know that meeting the Fed noted for the first time that the economy had made progress towards its goals you know which was uh, a milestone on the way towards the substantial further progress tests needed to start tapering so we'll look for any insights among Fed members uh, about their discussions you know at that meeting I think you know another topic that we'll pay very close attention to is actually the the debt ceiling um, and this uh, is really is you know, what the amount that the Treasury can can spend, uh, which had reached a cap, and it, it actually already expired, but it was um, extended. So you have the government providing these extraordinary measures to preserve the government's uh, liquidity. And how Congress really uh, deals with this situation going forward, we think, will be kind of a, a main um, factor that financial markets you know, will be paying close attention to. And, uh, you know, in the um, Congress this week, they did, did not include um, reconciliation instructions about the debt limit in that budget resolution that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So Democrats plan on increasing the debt limit as part of a separate uh, government funding bill uh, in the fall. But certainly there's uh, some contention there among um, Republicans that may not uh, vote to raise the debt ceiling. So that, it's certainly going to be in the headlines over the next several weeks. And I think the way that we view this uh, impact is, is, you know, I think a, a low probability in terms of the, the risk scenario uh, where it, it's not extended and, and the government loses funding. 
Um, but but it can certainly have a bigger impact on financial markets, especially you know as you get down to the wire and as the politics become contentious. So it's really that October-November time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the guidance that um, both uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen uh, had talked about in front of Congress and recommending that the debt ceiling get raised as soon as possible. And also the uh, CBO points to that time frame, you know, when the, basically the government may run out of cash to pay its bills. So you know, that's, a, that's a big event that, that I think, you know, financial markets, um, you know, will be paying close attention to. And I would just add, you know, on the topic of the debt ceiling, uh, I think I agree it will be a a topic of focus for the next several weeks and probably a few months. But as it resolves itself, those uh, technical, those related technical pressures that may be uh, keeping uh, Treasury rates lower than they ordinarily would be because of the uh, uh, supply issues and, and the related demands from the Treasury general account spending, those eventually would get resolved. And uh, that, as they do, that would support our view, which is to see interest rates to continue to rise for the remainder of the year. We do expect the 10-year Treasury yield to gradually move towards uh, 2% towards year-end or certainly towards back towards the 1.7% high that we saw earlier in the year. Uh, on the fundamental side, uh, you know, one of the uh, fundamental drivers that possibly could have been contributing to the uh, summer swoon that I alluded to earlier in the 10-year Treasury yield in June and July was concerns about the Delta variant. But more recently, uh, the experience that we're seeing in other countries that have dealt with Delta uh, before we have uh, has begun to see a peak in the uh, uh, number of cases and, and hospitalizations. And they've also shown the uh, vaccine remains very effective against the Delta variant. So those fundamental concerns, to the extent that they were responsible for uh, seeing lower Treasury yields, could uh, be possibly beginning to dissipate as well. Overall, just taking us back to interest rates, uh, that would support our view for what we expect to see a continued upward trend uh, Griff in the 10-year Treasury yield in the weeks and months ahead. Well, Frank, Barry, uh, absolutely fantastic conversation today on what's been another fascinating week on the street. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights, and we look forward to having you back on sometime soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks very much. No, thank you, guys. Again, we have been joined today by Frank Saleo and Barry McAlinden, both senior credit strategists with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com slash CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you'd like to learn more about or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit UBS.com studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the UBS trending video series. So from UBS Studios, I'm Griffin Marie, and thank you so much for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only.
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.